The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John, chapter 12, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. May my words and the thoughts of our hearts and minds help us to hear and to listen and respond and follow Christ through this season as we journey to Easter. Amen. Well, what a story, such a human story, such a sacred story, profoundly important in affirming Jesus' identity as the Divine One, who is present with us in the raw materials of our lives, in our homes, and in our relationships. Jesus is the divinely appointed king anointed by Mary for burial and who the very next day, according to John, will ride into Jerusalem to be welcomed by the crowd as the king of Israel prior to his arrest and crucifixion. It's a powerful story of hospitality and of devotion and it's also a story of resentment and greed. It's one of a handful of stories that are included in each of the four Gospels. The story, as it's told in Mark's Gospel, concludes with these words, truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. So before we turn to today's reading, let's look at the story as it's told in four different ways. We don't often have a chance to do this. New Testament scholar Richard Burridge gives us some really sound practical advice when comparing stories and passages um, in the different Gospels. He says, each Gospel is like a stained glass window, carefully composed of particular shapes, and textures and colors. 
If we were to superimpose four stained glass windows on top of each other, they would lose their power to convey the story as it was intended. We would lose the clarity that each shape and texture and colour has been intentionally chosen and crafted to convey. Each gospel is written carefully as a first century biography using language, imagery and stories to fulfil its purpose of making known the good news of Jesus Christ in a particular way for a particular audience from a particular perspective. Which means that the Gospels are not to be read and interpreted as CCTV footage of Jesus' life. They weren't written that way and they're not intended to be read that way. Well, why stories? To tell stories is to be human. Christians are story-oriented people. Our tradition has been shaped by telling, hearing, and reenacting the stories of our faith. So let's have a look at this particular story. I've outlined the story as it's told in each gospel so that we can see the when, where, who, what and why of each telling and also the response to the woman's actions. Now rest assured, you don't have to learn this. There won't be a test. You won't be asked to um, feedback what's up there on the screen. So for those of you who are on break from school, just breathe, it's okay. So let's have a look at when. Matthew and Mark, the story is um, placed just prior to Passover, two days before Passover in Mark. Whereas in Luke, it's placed within Jesus' Galilean ministry long before he arrives in Jerusalem. And then, as we've just heard, in John, six days before Passover. In Matthew and Luke, the story takes place in the house of Simon the leper, who just so happens to live in Bethany. In Luke chapter 7, it's in the home of a Pharisee named Simon. And in John, in the home of Lazarus, along with his sisters Martha and Mary in Bethany. In Matthew and Mark, the woman is described as having an alabaster jar of costly ointment in Matthew and costly nard in Mark, using the same language that John uses. In Luke, however, the woman, we're told that the woman was a sinner. And then in John, the woman is named. It's the only story where the woman is named. She's named as Mary, who took costly perfume. So what did the woman do? Well, in Matthew and Mark, she poured the ointment on Jesus' head. In Luke, she weeps, bathes Jesus' feet with tears, dries them with her hair, kisses his feet, and anoints him with oil. And then in John, it says that Mary anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance. Why did the woman do this? In Matthew and Mark, Jesus says she's done something good and anointed me for burial. He adds in Mark that you can always show kindness to the poor. In Luke, though, Jesus says 
that he is offering the woman forgiveness of sins and he says to her, faith has saved you, go in peace. And then in John, Jesus says, Mary has kept this ointment for the day of burial. Well, finally, let's look at the responses. In Matthew, it's the disciples who say, why all this waste? Why not give the money to the poor? In Mark, it simply says, some said, in anger, why was ointment wasted? Why not sell and give to the poor what is worth more than 300 denarii? In John, we heard that Judas asked that question. Why not sell the ointment and give the money to the poor? Plus, I'll make a little on the side. Thank you very much. But in Luke, let's have a look at this response in Luke. Luke is the gospel that we're spending a lot of time in this year. It's the year of Luke. Jesus... And the response to the woman who has wept and bathed Jesus' feet is a response from Simon the Pharisee where he questions Jesus' authority as a prophet. And he says, don't you know who this woman is? She's a sinner. That wasn't a really smart move on Simon the Pharisee's part because in Luke it says, Jesus said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And this is what Jesus says. He tells Simon the Pharisee a little parable about a generous creditor who has two debtors. One owes 500 denarii, the other owes 50. Neither can pay, and the creditor forgives both. Both debtors respond with love. Jesus says the one who is released from the 500 denarii debt loves much. And the one released from the small debt loves little. But that's not the end of what Jesus has to say to Simon. Jesus goes on to say, Simon, just one more thing. When I arrived at your house, there was no water for my feet, no kiss of greeting, no oil to anoint my head as would be part of a customary welcome. And yet, on the other hand, this woman, who you call a sinner, has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She's not ceased kissing my feet and she has anointed them with perfume. And I say to her, your sins have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus is declaring that he is God. He is the one with the power to forgive sins. So each story is a different stained glass panel with its own details serving to tell the picture, tell, it's serving the purpose of the big story. However, there's a common thread that runs through each telling of this story. Jesus liberates the woman's story and honours her devotion in the face of ridicule from others. Jesus liberates her and her story. Well, let's focus now on the story as we heard it in John's Gospel. To set the scene, Jesus is a wanted man 
The chief priests and Pharisees have already given orders in Jerusalem as it prepares for the feast of Passover that if anyone knows Jesus' whereabouts, they're to let them know so that they can arrest Jesus. And the people are saying, so surely Jesus won't turn up for Passover. But meanwhile, in Bethany, a village on the slopes of the Mount of Olives, about three kilometers from the old city of Jerusalem, Jesus has come to the home of Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. Remember how Lazarus had died and Jesus restored him to life? That was to demonstrate that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus has returned to this resurrection home to spend time with his friends. Remember too that Mary and Martha had had an earlier altercation because Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet as a disciple would sit at the feet of her rabbi rather than helping Martha to prepare and serve a meal. Well, once more, Mary and Martha actually assume those same roles. In this story, Martha serves the meal. Mary attends to Jesus' feet. Only this time, she's anointing them. And this time, it's not Martha who objects. It's Judas. Why was this perfume not sold and the money given to the poor? And as we heard, John suggests that Judas has ulterior motives. The more money in the communal purse, the more profitable that is for Judas. Don't you think that Judas's response is reminiscent of the older brother's response in the parable last week? Judas assumes the role of the rule keeper, the pragmatist the responsible one. Judas, and I'm imagining it's in quite a loud voice here, berates Mary for her behavior, for spending the equivalent of a year's wages on this wasteful act. Well, how does Jesus respond? We've already heard that Jesus defends her. He says, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep the ointment for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Mary is anointing Jesus in preparation for him entering Jerusalem as king and in preparation for his death. This act of devotion reflects the value that Jesus places on the physical nature of our lives and on people, and on relationships. So as we hear this story today, in our proclamation of the good news of Christ for the whole world, we remember and give thanks for this woman and the invitation that she extends to all of us to honour Christ in our midst. The power of story has been somewhat of a recurring theme uh, for me, as in my reading and my listening of late, and we've even heard sermons in the last few weeks that have talked about the power of story. The elements of a story that allow it to speak include vulnerability and compassion. We glimpse vulnerability in today's reading. Mary's vulnerability as she anoints Jesus' feet Jesus' vulnerability as he allows Mary to offer him this gift of devotion. And we hear compassion too in Jesus' response. He listens, 
He cares and he welcomes. Becoming good listeners to the story of others can be a pathway to empathy. And empathy is the pathway to letting go of judgment and embracing compassion. I wonder whose story can you think of that has helped you to better understand another person or perhaps the group of people that they represent? Think of the stories that we've heard of Shane Warne from his memorial service in the last week. Think of Malala Yousafzai's book, I Am Malala, the story of the girl who stood up for education and was shot by the Taliban. Think of the stories that we're reading in our news feeds about Ukrainian refugees and those who remain behind or those who've suffered during recent floods. Think of the stories of friends and neighbours and family members who have shed light and broadened our view of different life experiences through their story. The power of story is profoundly important in shaping our identity and leading us to empathy, letting go of judgment and embracing compassion, which is, after all, our calling in Christ. Author Steve Morris, in this little book called Our Precious Lives, Why Telling and Hearing Stories Can Save the Church, says, this little book is about the power of stories and it's an encouragement to the church to be the place where they are told and heard. In being that place, everything changes and we live out the truth of the incarnation that everyone matters and deserves to be heard. That includes the lost, the lonely, and the marginalized. It also includes the argumentative, the awkward, and those who don't agree with our doctrine. Like the rest of us, Jesus, who walked the earth, was a storytelling, story-listening human. Stories would have formed him and been part of his day-to-day -day life, part of the fabric of who he is and was. Perhaps none of us can escape stories, but then who would want to? God tells the story of God's love through creation, through the revelation of God in Christ, and through God's revelation in scripture and story. So empathy is the pathway to letting go of judgment and embracing compassion. The disciples, the crowd, Simon the Pharisee and Judas in each of the four stories were not good listeners. They blocked the pathway to empathy and compassion with their judgment. Jesus, this woman, isn't following the rules. Jesus, do you know who this woman is? Jesus, couldn't the expense of this act have been put to better use? Back in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, in their home of resurrection and life, I'm left with, well, quite a few questions, really, but there's one question in particular that I'm pondering. I wonder, how might Mary have told the story if she had the opportunity to do so in her own words? It's Jesus and the gospel writers who give us the why as to her actions. So I wonder, Mary, how would you tell your story? 
How would you describe where you found the courage to openly express your love and devotion for Jesus? How would you describe the pounding in your chest as you waited for the loud and angry words from Judas whose sensibilities you were triggering? Perhaps it might have sounded something like this. Jesus, from the beginning, you have poured yourself out like this perfume. You've held nothing back, not a drop. Your love for all people fills the world like a sweet scent. You have given what is most precious, and now I do the same. On the last Friday of May, we're going to hold a dinner. You've probably seen it mentioned in the newsletter. We're calling it a hello dinner. And it'll be an opportunity for us to tell our story and to listen to the story of others. Probably not the whole story in the first instance, but to tell those stories that particularly connect to our cultural background. There'll be an opportunity to share food and be with one another. It'll be a wonderful way for us to get to know the people who make up our community and perhaps to nurture empathy and find a deeper sense of connection and belonging. Next week, the story continues. It's Palm Sunday and we begin our journey through Holy Week to Easter. I wonder, how might you show your devotion to Christ? How might you show your devotion to Christ through listening more closely to others and in growing empathy for those who Jesus loves? How might you share the experiences of God's liberating love in your life as you consider your precious story, the precious story of your life? And how might, in sharing that, how might you help to share the good news of Jesus Christ today? Amen.